Hear the word of the Lord. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. Great to be with you. A lot happening today. I'm excited about. Uh, hey, don't sneak out, Justin Schaefer. Yeah. His idea, his vision, his idealism that paid off. Thank you. You great job. He did his normal job and this job this week, which I'm excited about. And if y'all could have seen how, it, how messy it was in here on Friday, you'd be even more impressed. So thanks a lot. Uh, I feel like my threat level as a preacher has gone down quite a bit because there's not boxes and cords and stuff that I'm, I'm uh, tripping over. So I'm excited about that. Also, happy Not Your Seat Sunday. If you're a visitor and have no idea, um, you know, stuffy church people, um, I called some of you stuffy just now, uh, will uh, sit in the same seat forever and ever and ever and ever. And so we do Not Your Seat Sunday every so often just to mix it up and uh, see different faces and I get to look at different you guys. Uh, some of you took up the challenge last week and have lost hours of sleep saying not your seat Sunday over and over in your head, trying to figure out what the surprise was today. And I'll do it for you real quick. Not, not your seat, not your seat, nacho seat. Nacho seat Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and you're like, well, what's that mean? It means there's a huge nacho bar waiting for you after church. And uh, <laughs> yeah, because it's also Super Bowl Sunday, fly eagles fly. And uh, right, right. And if if you're a Patriots fan, there'll be people praying for you by the dumpsters outside <laughs> after the service. I'll be honest, there's a part of me that wants them to win just like to secure the dynasty because it's kind of amazing what's happened. But then I remember Satan's a liar. You know what I mean? And uh, the beast, must, Satan, your kingdom must come down as we sing sometimes. Um, yeah, amen, right? Yeah. The only thing worse would have be if it was the Steelers. Uh, that maybe that's... Oh! Some of y'all ain't Christians yet. Okay, okay. So what goes better with, uh, you know, Super Bowl nachos? Uh, The 9 o'clock was a little sheepish about breakfast nachos. So we have a lot of nachos out there that I hope you will eat afterwards. Um, This, and then this Wednesday, we have our Ash Wednesday service, which is a bit different than nachos and Super Bowls. So it's basically a reflection on how short life is and God's promises us to promises to us in that. Uh, so uh, it's uh, early Wednesday morning. There's posters up at 6 or 6.30. I'm, it's in your bulletin too. 
And uh, if, if you want ashes imposed on you throughout the day, you can come by and the staff or one of the pastors will be here to do that if it doesn't work out with your work schedule or something. What? Next, next week. week. Yeah. That's why I didn't say it at the 9 a.m. Yeah. Valentine's Day. So if you're in love, come think about death for a little bit. Um, <laughs> just the way the calendar works, man. We don't stop the calendar for these pagan holidays. You know what I mean? And uh, then... <laughs> I'm a little uh, ripped on coffee. I had a mild family emergency between services. Everything's fine. A little old gas leak, fire department stuff. And, like, I am wired right now. Uh, uh, so then the last few weeks we've been in these parables about Jesus and uh, talking about money in particular. And it's great to go, like, see a financial coach when you're in money crisis. It's really good to talk about money when you're not in money crisis, similar to therapy, like if you're on the fence about therapy and you're like, my life's pretty good right now, I would encourage you to go see a counselor now. You know, like there's really good work you can do when everything is stable. And so financially as a church, we're, way, we're in surplus. Our giving has been pretty, um, it's been, I don't know why I'm surprised at this point, the way the Lord keeps coming through for us. Uh, but so we've been talking about money uh, in a little bit of similar vein that Jesus does in the sense of trying to tie it to the heart issues that are involved in it, the, the emotional, spiritual maturity issues. And some of you may be really itching for like, well, where's the practical help? You know, like I, I want to know how to make a budget or I want to know how to do this or what should I do with this money that I have sitting around this extra. And so there's lots of practical resources we have for you guys. You can go online and listen to the series we did um, three years ago, I think, called Money Talks, which was a little more practical than this one has been. Um, on the How We Grow wall out there, we also have this booklet, uh, which is your personal finance plan, which has every, it's got worksheets in it. It's so practical. Um, how, and it's everything from our money is a total mess and we're drowning in student loans to we're in a stable spot. How can we grow in giving? So this is absolutely free. The, the pastors put this together. I think it's really, really good. Uh, it's over at the How We Grow wall. And if you, if you want to spend some money, um, we've got a book from Dave Ramsey. I said in the 9 a.m. it was a free magazine, which caused a bit of a panic because it's not free and it's a book. Uh, so, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, your total money makeover. So, if you're into makeover or HGTV shows, that's a good book for you. So, this will be our last week talking about money. And next week, we're starting... Uh, we're staying with the parables, but the emphasis will shift away from our money and into uh, the kingdom of God. This interesting message that Jesus, it's where how he begins his sermon, announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand, this picture of life with God under the rule of God. And Pastor Lachlan Coffey is going to be preaching next week. We let him out of the barns once or twice a year, and uh, it's going to be a show. Y'all are in for a treat. So I, I encourage you to come back next week, and there we go. Um, so this passage that's before us here in Luke 12, if you read the Bible or have spent some time in the Bible, it's quite confusing. Um, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it, why it's confusing here in a few minutes. But one of the things we've really been at, um, we've been trying to show you guys in this, these last few weeks, but also in our sermons in general, uh, trying to better understand what does it mean to be a human being and kind of the nature of the human soul and how that relates to our relationship with God. And one of the things that uh, the Bible has been, is at pains to show us is that the, the human heart, the human soul, is a love machine. Um, it's a desire factory. Uh, to put it real simply, the things you do in your life, the choices you make, uh, all of it is driven by what you love and what you want. 
Uh, Sometimes that's really obvious to spot. Other times it isn't. Uh, The Bible affirms this point blank in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 4.23 will say, Guard your heart more than any treasure, more than any of your possessions, because all of life flows from it. Uh, Everything you do in life flows from what you love and what you want. Um, And it's interesting. This is one of the things that really separates us from the animals. Um, I got kicked out of a... I was a philosophy major in college, so a conservative Christian in the philosophy department at a very liberal university made me like this. I was the freak that walked in, and people would just target me. And I I had the audacity to suggest that I preferred human life over gorilla life in a class one time. And, man, I I was worried for my safety. I literally got thrown out of the classroom for suggesting that. But there's things like this, love and desire, that really separate us from animals. Because if you give a dog... Food every day. And I am pro-dog, just to be clear. Right? I love dogs. I used my children to try to manipulate my wife into getting a dog earlier this week. Um, I really love dogs. If you give a dog a bowl of food and water, he's generally pretty happy. A couple of scratches every so often. Um, if, but I've yet to meet someone in their 20s where it's like, man, tell me your dreams and what you long for in life. And they're like, I just want to survive. Like, I just want to be alive for a little bit longer. Uh, no, one, no one's dream in life is to stay alive. You know, we all are like pro staying alive, but that's not the aspiration that we, we long for. You know, we want to love and be loved. We want to know and be known. We want to become something or achieve something or experience something. There's this drive, this longing, this desire that all of us have that makes us very, very different from the rest of the animals. And if, if you think about it, why do you choose this thing over that thing? Okay, why did you do this instead of that? Somewhere under there, you wanted something this gave you that that would not give you. And I am telling you, that is true for everything you do. Everything all of us do. There's, have you ever wondered why you, you looked at something, you're like, I know this is a sin, I know this is wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. You knew it was a sin before, you knew it was a sin while you were doing it, and you knew it was a sin afterwards, but you still did it. There's desire, there's longings that drive these things. It's part of what it means to be a human, and this is both a blessing and a curse. The church has really messed this up the last hundred years or so. If you've got a desire, uh, especially if the object of the desire is something sinful, we do this with sexuality. Uh, If you do something bad sexually, well, we have to figure out how to kill your desire for sexual intimacy. He's like, no, 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 no. That's a very good thing. Longing to be sexually intimate or the experience of fulfillment of that, that's a good thing. Similar with money, uh, ambition, wanting to have more responsibility in my career or make a difference or do something. These aren't bad things. In the church so often, we try to just kill that desire. But it's a blessing on one hand because these desires, these longings, create a richness and a fullness uh, to the human life, the human soul that is totally unique. I mean, we have an unbelievable capacity for wonder and uh, for joy. These, These loves and longings at their best and at their purest move us to experience what a gift our humanity is. So like the satisfying safety of an intimate monogamous relationship, right? God's design there, the, the real joy of that, um, the joy of watching your child sleeping at night, at, at peace. Uh, the joy of watching your child express ideas that you've been teaching them, putting their own words to it, or, or standing before a mountain and feeling so small and yet your soul is expanded, standing on the edge of a, an, what appears to be an endless ocean and feeling how, 
how threatening that could be. This could swallow me, but I feel so safe next to it. You know, these amazing capacities that the human soul has. So we have to affirm that desire is good, that love is good, um, that it's human, and the ability to desire and love is an absolutely crucial aspect of what it means to be made in God's image. As image bearers of God, we are made for love. We are made for desire. So this capacity that we have is a blessing, but it's also an tremendous curse because all of our loves, all of our desires have been distorted. So think about what happened at the, from the very beginning in, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, a serpent comes and he asks this leading question. So be on your guard from leading questions, right? This, is, this started in, in the garden where I'm asking something, but I'm really asking you something else. We've all experienced this. The, the serpent comes up to him and says, let me ask you something real quick. Did God really say that? Did, did God really? You know, he, he's not so much asking the question as trying to convince them. That's not actually what God said. And then what is the temptation there? If you don't, if you don't listen to God, you could be something more than you are. You, you could be like God. So it's both this uh, indication that maybe what you are isn't enough and this invitation that, you know, your desires could point you to become something more than you are. And follow that through the Bible, and you'll see this theme of people wanting more than what we have and wanting to be more than what we are. So since then, we have chased broken things with a broken love, and it, it has brought us destruction over and over. And if you're under 25, maybe you don't know this yet. If you're over, I'm almost certain you know this. Have you ever wanted something for years and years and years? And then the unthinkable happens. You get it, and you realize that it didn't work. And humans are so strange, and I'm like this too. So let me talk, if you're poor here, um, which I'm not sure what that means in the United States, but like if you're paycheck to paycheck, if you're struggling, if, if you're poor, how many wealthy people, rich people, need to tell us, hey, money won't make you happy. Uh, money won't satisfy you. How many millionaire stockbrokers need to jump out windows on Wall Street before us poor people wonder, maybe they're right, <laughs> you know? Don't we all have the sense of like, well, I get you saying that, but it'll be different for me. There's yet to be a human. And so like, let's say Tom Brady wins it today. Go on the internet and look at this interview that Tom Brady did when he's like 26 and he's won three Super Bowls and makes all this money. And they're like, what's next, Tom? You're MVP. You've made all this money. You won all these Super Bowls. And he's like, there's times that I sit in bed and I think, God, is this really it? Can this really be all there is to life? So I'm just going to go win an another Super Bowl? Even Tom Brady, right? He's beautiful. He's rich. He's successful. He's got a beautiful family. And he's still sitting there like, is this it? What if he's right and the money doesn't work? To, to you single people who are sitting there saying, man, once I get married, oh, God, if, it, if you would just provide this for me. How many married people need to tell us, hey, listen, your, a marriage won't satisfy you. It's beautiful and it's great. I'm happy to be married, but it, it's way harder than anyone ever told you. Uh, it won't satisfy you. How many, like, think about, I know how difficult wanting a child is, dealing with infertility, or just waiting on the Lord to do something. How many parents with children need to say, listen, your children will not satisfy your soul? They might fool you into thinking they can in like years one and two, but then, <laughs> right? But then they get things called opinions, and, and then in their teen years, they get things called hormones, and they 
bring home an art major from college or something like that. You know what I mean? Or art history major, because art, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, they become, all these things are good. Like, money is good. Uh, spouses are good. Children are good. They just can't hold the human soul, okay? They can't meet those needs, and yet all of us remain desiring, longing, loving things in our, in the, on our deepest level that will destroy us because they can't hold our hopes. They, they can't, it's a, a foundation that's too weak for what the human soul needs. So our distorted longings, our distorted desires drive us to expect things to do that which they never could. If you marry someone expecting them to satisfy your soul, you will crush them. If you raise your children expecting them to give you a meaningful life, you will crush them. And some of you are old enough to know this is true, whether it's with your money or that house or that job. We're made to desire and love, and yet we don't know what to desire or how to love. And that is what this story is about this morning. Jesus speaks right into this tension, and he teaches us that, that God alone can restore our desires and then satisfy our souls. And this, this lesson is wrapped up in a very strange problem. So there's an obvious and a not-so-obvious problem. Um, and the, the second problem, the not-so-obvious one, I think, has more to do with us than with Jesus. So we'll look, look at it here in just a second. Here's the problem that this dude in the crowd addresses. He shouts out, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. A seemingly obvious problem, dad died, and there's a family money dispute. Um, Here's what makes this kind of funny to me. Luke chapter 12 begins by telling us that thousands of people have come to hear Jesus. And in the Gospels, you'll see people come, crowds come, and Jesus will talk, he'll teach his disciples something, but in a way that the crowd overhears it. And so thousands of people come to hear Jesus, and he talks to his disciples. Not the crowd, he talks to his disciples and gives them this lesson on hypocrisy. And the big lesson is, hey, listen, if you honor me on earth, if you confess that I'm God, if you trust me, if you follow me, then I will usher you into eternal life. I will bring you into the presence of God. God will honor you in front of the angels. So he's saying, if you trust me, if you believe in me, I will bring safety to your eternal soul. So he's like talking about the weightiest matters of human life, okay? It's this huge conversation with Jesus, with his disciples, talking in front of this huge crowd that come wanting something from Jesus. He's like, guys, if you follow me, I will secure your eternal soul. And some yokel shouts out, tell my brother to give me some money. (laughs) If we were there, you'd be like, really? Now? Right now? Do you see, what must this guy want here? What does this say about his desires? Like, yeah, 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 great, great, great. Eternity, soul, presence of God, show me the money, right? Come figure this out for me, Jesus. And on the one hand, it's not entirely crazy. Uh, this is a, it's about 27, 28% of the time Jesus opens his mouth in the Gospels. He's talking about money. So if you have a hard time talking about money, you will have a hard time talking with Jesus. He talks about it all the time. And we've talked about why that is the last few weeks. So maybe this guy just knew Jesus has this reputation for talking about money, and he wants to come to Jesus to have this money thing worked out. But what must he love or be interested in that in the midst of this conversation about eternity, he interrupts the lesson to ask this kind of Judge Judy arbitrary or arbitration question? What's he love? What's he desire here? Jesus' response 
So that's the first problem. Help me with my financial troubles, Jesus. Uh, Jesus' response shows another problem. Jesus replied, man. (laughs) I don't know how he said that, but you got to be like, man, really right now? Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Now, if this isn't confusing to you, that doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. If you've been reading the Bible for a while, this should be confusing to you, though, because Jesus says, man, who made me a judge between you guys? And if you are familiar with Jesus, the appropriate response should be some version of you did, right? Like, didn't you come to judge the living and the dead? Like, aren't you going to sit on the judgment throne on judgment day as the judge? Right? Like, And if you go a few verses later, in the same book, the book of Luke, in the same chapter, Luke chapter 12, um, something weird happens. So this word arbiter, is this still up there? Yeah, I like doing this. Arbiter, this one right here. Um, The the cleanest translation would be divider, the divider. I don't think any of your translations have that, and that's not people doing something weird with their Bibles or like trying to manipulate the text, as it is for the sake of clarity in what Jesus is talking about here. So that word, Jesus says, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And a few verses later, like 20 verses later, Jesus is again talking to his disciples, and he says this. He says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. He says, I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to be a divider. It's the same exact word. So in, earlier in Luke 12, Jesus says, who made me a divider over you? A few verses later, he's like, I come to be a divider amongst you. Uh, and it's the same word. And so that earlier, we, we trans, it's totally a fair translation to say arbiter. It's not wrong. Um, it's for the sake of clarity. But we should look at that and say, what is going on? And one of the big assumptions I make when I read the Bible is that the guys who wrote it weren't dumb, and God is not dumb, right? So Jesus in the same conversation isn't going to contradict himself like that. Uh, So what's going on? Verse 14, who said I should divide this for you? Verse 51, I've come to divide this. (laughs) What's going on? So those are the problems that this text is bringing before us. Uh, you got this guy's kind of superficial money problem, and then Jesus is seemingly kind of schizophrenic teaching on what he's come to do. To resolve this, um, he teaches a parable. He tells a story, which you've just got to love, man. You have this big question. Well, hang on, let me tell you a story. Uh, so it begins in verse 16. It says, the ground of a certain man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So real, this is just a quick aside. There's this thought in our culture that if anybody has money, they're like dishonest and wicked and nasty. Um, we don't take the easy way out and try to resolve this story by saying, well, clearly this guy's just a no good, right? There's nothing in here. He just had a good year. Maybe he's a really good farmer. You can make money and be honest and a person of character and integrity and God blesses you. And like, just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're wicked, nasty, evil. Maybe it means you're really good at your job and you work hard and the Lord's blessed you. So we have to have a category for the righteous rich if we want to read the Bible openly and fairly. So Business is booming. Not everyone does well. Um, not everyone who does well gets there dishonestly. So we don't know. This guy is doing well. He says, I've got no place to put all of my stuff. And so this is what I will do. 
Uh, I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have, a pl- you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. I think most of us would get this, right? Like, business is booming, i got to get a bigger house to take care of all of my nicer stuff or something like that. There, there's a few important details I want to point out, though. Um, first, it says, uh, I will store all my goods. All my grain and all my goods. You see that word there, all? He's saving everything. I'm going to put it all in there. Uh, Second, this is funny to me, um, I will say to myself, look at how many times the first person, I'm just making excuses to use this pointer right now. Uh, (laughs) I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. That's all in the first person. I mean my, right? I mean my, my life, I have done this, I have this stuff, I will save this for myself, for my life, for my many years I have left. And then third, he has years of stuff saved up, and now he's going to go take life easy. So what does this say about this man's desire? What does he love? Uh, It seems like his own life, his own comfort. Uh, It doesn't say, now I can take care of my family and my grandchildren or something like that. And he's looking looking at my life, my personal stuff. And I think most of us would do this if we had a lot of stuff. Like, let's be careful not to blow this dude up here. But then something very strange and unusual in the context of the Bible happens. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? As far as I know, this is the only time God shows up in one of the parables and speaks to somebody where it's clearly named God did this and God said this. And this might be the only time in the Bible, I'm about 83% sure, I didn't read the whole Bible this week to confirm, but I'm pretty sure this is the only time God personally, directly calls someone a fool. You fool. So this is worth paying attention to what is happening here. A fool in the Bible, it's not like the the old town fool in medieval times or something, you know, someone who's just kind of, doesn't have the mental equipment to think, or it's not someone who's mentally ill or unintelligent or something like that. A a fool in the Bible is someone that hates God's definition of reality. Uh, A fool is someone who rejects the way God designed life to work. God says, do it this way, and they say, "Mm, no, I think I know better. That's a fool. And God is saying, you're living like this is all there is, you fool. What's going to happen to all this stuff that you've saved up and you've stored and you've worked on? You're going to die tonight, and then one of your idiot kids is going to take it. Or it's going to go to the state, and they're going to distribute to somebody else. Or You're not going to take any of this with you. You're living like this is all there is, and your time is up tonight. And then what? You get no say in what happens after this. And what's more, you haven't done anything to prepare your soul for what happens after this. He's indicting the man for having distorted desires and misplaced love. Your desires and love were only focused on this world, and it will leave you empty. It will leave you vulnerable. It will leave you in the most precarious position possible. The story exposes this man for disordered loves. And Jesus uses the story to indict the man wanting his financial troubles disputed. Divided. But as with all of Jesus' indictments, he uses them to invite us. He instructs us. And there's a principle here that he's trying, he's pleading with us to believe. So remember, 
Jesus was talking with his disciples when this man interrupted. Jesus rebukes this man, and now he instructs, instructs his disciples and tells them, this is how it's going to be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. If all of your hope, if all of your money, if all of your stuff is about this stuff, this place, this world, you're going to have an encounter with God like this man had. So how does this principle resolve the problems that we're dealing with in this text? Well, first, and this is probably true of every, every text we go through, but this is really important as we read the Bible, as we pursue life with God, that we don't misunderstand the mission of Jesus. Um, we, we don't try to twist it into something that it's not. So think about all of us here. I, I believe this to the soles of my shoes. Everybody came here this morning wanting something, either from the service or from God. Um, we come wanting something. I hear things all the time. I'll go to church because I want some peace after a crazy week. I just need to go somewhere where I can be reminded it's solid. And if I come to church, this is what I will get. Uh, I hear from visitors all the time. And I'm, if you're here and you're visiting, I'm thankful that you're here. But I hear like, this was an awful year. I did terrible things. I want a fresh start. So I'm going to go to church and do the good thing so that God will give me this new start. My money's tight. TV preacher said I got to sow a seed of faith. So I'm just going to come to church and give so that God can give this back to me. Here's in essence what happens, I think, in our church every week. And all of us do this. The, the preacher does this. I came saying, God, thank you that my, my kids didn't die in the night last night with a gas leak. Please keep them safe. Like we all have things that we want and that we desire. But Jesus is here through his word, through these songs, through the liturgy, saying, put your hope in me and I will, I will secure your soul for eternity. I will give you rest. I will heal you. I will redirect your desires. And in the back, we shout out, Jesus, please let my kids get into that school. I, I will give you an eternal hope and an eternal future. Jesus, could you please help me get along with my cousin at the family reunion? I will usher you into the presence of God where you will experience everlasting joy and pleasure forever. Jesus, could you please help us get $500 more this week so that we can pay this bill? Like, there are eternal matters that we are wrestling with and, and fighting to receive every week. And we all come wanting something from God. God, could you just make me a little happier? God, could you just make my kids a little more obedient? Could you just, and I'm not saying any of these things are bad or wrong or sinful. I just think they reveal our own disordered loves. We come wanting Jesus to do something for us. And here's what Jesus is saying to this man, and I think to each of us. If you come to me hoping that I will give you something, you've misunderstood my mission. If you come to me asking things from me, you've misunderstood my mission. If you come to me asking me to divide your stuff, to give you your desires, you've misunderstood my mission. And the problem is not desire or love. The problem is what we want and why we want it. It's a heart issue. So here's, what, here's Jesus' indictment on this man. If you, try to, if, you, if you try to give Jesus something before you give him your life, it will destroy you. 
it doesn't matter what it is. If it's your morality, if I just do these good things, God will do good things for me. If you try to give him your sexuality, I really want a spouse, so I'm going to be super pure. I'm going to give you my sexual purity so that you will give me this amazing spouse down the road. Uh, I will give you my money so that you will, you know, remember the prayer of Jabez nonsense a couple of years ago? It just increased my boundaries, Lord. I'm going to give you this prayer so that you will give me back this thing. Treating God like a genie in a bottle, that he just does what you want him to. Listen, it's the if-then game. If I do this for God, then he will do this for me. If I come to church on Sunday, then God will do this for me. If I pray this way, then God will do this for me. And God does not play that game. Because your stuff, I don't know. Are you willing to believe God's not most interested in your morality? Are you willing to believe God's not most interested in your money? The mission of Jesus is you. To rescue you and heal your distorted heart. To take your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. To take your stubborn, bitter, obstinate heart and give you a soft, tender heart to put a spirit inside of you and cause you to walk in his ways. Here's what Jesus is saying to this man. If you come to me asking me to divide your stuff before I divide you, you have misunderstood my mission. If you've come to me asking me to be a judge over your stuff before you've submitted to me as the judge over you, You've misunderstood my mission. And this is what Jesus is saying when he's saying, I've come to bring division. He's, have you noticed he's always talking about himself? You, someone who claims to be God and performs amazing miracles cannot be taken casually. And he says, I demand such allegiance, such love, that you will love me more than your own father. Read the rest of that Luke 12 passage. You will love me more than you love your own mother or daughter. Earlier in Luke 12, if I'm God, if you accept me, if you honor me, if you welcome me, I will usher you into the presence of God forever. He will introduce you to the angels. He will smile and welcome you. You can't treat someone who makes these claims casually. So what Jesus is saying is he's not the arbiter of your money. He's the arbiter of your soul. He hasn't come to judge about what to do with your stuff. He's come to judge about your soul and this is the lesson that he gives his disciples. He says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He's like, look at the greed of this guy. Look at the crazy things that's made him done. Interrupt this thing. He cares more about his inheritance than eternal life. Listen, listen, fellas. Life does not consist in your stuff. And he has come to show us what life does consist in. Knowing him and being known by him. God designed the human soul to be satisfied in relationship with himself. That is the invitation. That's the reality. That's the mission. To forgive our sin. Uh, here's another way to think about your sin. Your disordered desires and misplaced loves. The consequences that that reaps. Jesus has absorbed the spiritual penalty of that. And if you stop there, you've misunderstood the mission of Jesus. If you stop at the forgiveness of sins, you've misunderstood the mission of Jesus. He does all of that to usher you into eternal relationship with God, the eternal fellowship in the presence of God to redeem us and teach us how to love. Do not misunderstand the mission of Jesus. He hasn't come to argue about your stuff. He's come to divide your soul. And so then don't miss the invitation here. 
Uh, here's the tension that Jesus is walking in, and I love it. He's so comfortable with tension. Uh, on the one hand, uh, the Bible is filled with encouragements to save. The righteous leave an inheritance for their children. Be a good steward. If, so listen, if there is a physical world, which is debatable today, <laughs> like, let's be a people that can agree on things like there's actually a world and we're in it. Just like, did you feel that? Okay, you have a body. Uh, so if there's a physical world, and there is, then to save nothing is foolish. You're a fool if you save nothing in this life. On the other hand, if there is an eternal world, and there is, then to save everything is foolish. To save nothing or everything is a rejection of God's reality. So, yes, you, you have this life, so plan, prepare, save, but do so understanding the mission of Jesus, to redeem your soul and usher you into eternal fellowship with God and each other. Make that the, the principle. What will that mean? Go figure it out. Get some of these tools. See what the practicalities mean. But we live in both worlds. There is a physical world, and there is an eternal world that we're being ushered into. And the principle of spiritual progress, of growth and experiencing the kingdom of God, is not big, building bigger barns. It's emptying them. And if you're willing to believe Jesus, if you're willing to see him as Lord, as the divider of your soul, you will be led into an upside-down kingdom. And I'm so excited we're talking about this the next few weeks. It's not just money that Jesus handles kind of crazy. So he, he says things like, it, if you want to save your life, he doesn't say, oh, you selfish, narrow-minded, narcissistic Christians, only interested in yourself. He doesn't indict that desire to save your own life. He just says, okay, if you want to save your life, you have to what? Lose it. What? This is the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. If you don't hold on to your life, you just got to give it away. When the disciples come to him, this is amazing. Makes everybody uncomfortable. Me too. And they say, we want to be the first in the kingdom. We want the best seat in heaven. We want the position of authority. Jesus doesn't say, you selfish, ambitious sons of guns, right? Like he doesn't indict them for that. He's like, oh, you want to be the first in heaven? Well, then you have to what? Be the last. Okay, if you want to do that, here's the way to do it. If anyone would keep his life, he must lose it. If you want to hold on to your wealth, if you want to experience the freedom of the tyranny of money, if you want to experience the freedom of a world where God is in control, don't hoard your money in bigger barns. Give it away and watch what happens. So the core question is, that we have to answer is not so much what's my next step with my money, um, though like last week we talked about how that's a real practical way to reorient your loves. Uh, there's three questions I want you, real quick, that I want you to write them down or we'll email them out to you in, in, er, later in the week. Um, these are the questions I want you to wrestle with th this morning. First is, what do you love? What do you put your hope in? And please be honest, okay? Like, don't go, I love Jesus. Can you say that with a clear conscience, right? Like, I know we love Jesus. What do you scheme for? What are you hunting for Pinterest on? Is that how you say that? You know what I mean? Like, what are you scouring eBay and Craigslist for? Uh, what are you hoping for? What did you come this morning asking God would give to you? What do you love? Question two, will it care for you when you hurt? Will it draw near to you in your pain? Will it bring you comfort? Will it ease your wounds and, and reorient your heart to what's good, true, and beautiful? What do you love? Will it care for you when you hurt? And then finally, how long will it last? How long will it last? The answer, your answer, there may not be something wicked and evil and, and sinful. Some of you could be totally jacked up, right? Like, 
But it doesn't have to be something bad that you love or, or you want. But it likely can't answer each of those questions the way Jesus can. If your hope is in Jesus, you have abundant evidence of his love for you. He draws near to you in your pain. He takes your suffering upon himself. And just, how do we know Jesus isn't a maniac? Why should we listen to him when he talks about eternal matters? Because he died and rose. He came back. He did, and he rode some kind of lightning bolt escalator up to heaven and was like, all right, I'm sitting on the throne of heaven and earth forever, you guys. And the church is still here. Twelve idiots and a Middle Eastern Jew in the middle of nowhere. And here we are in Indiana talking about what he said. Every generation for 2,000 of years have found that his, his instructions work. He satisfies. He transforms. He changes. He's worth listening to. And just as he was risen from the dead to newness of life, he promises that if you trust him and follow him into his upside-down kingdom, he'll do the same for you. He'll bring you an eternal life, but he'll also restore the broken ashes of your life and give you something instead beautiful. And, and this life that he offers, this fellowship he brings us into, will last forever. So this morning, don't come to Jesus for what he can give to you, just hoping that he can give you something better or something nicer. Don't give Jesus anything for what he will give you back. Never give to this church thinking that if I put money in the bucket, God's going to give me a blessing this week. Don't you ever do that. Don't you ever give God something hoping he can give you something back in return. Man, this meeting's going to, I got a big important meeting next week. I'm going to read the Bible every day this week. God is not your genie. He's the God of the universe, worthy of your worship and submission. And more than any of that, he wants to love you and be loved by you. Don't ask Jesus to divide your stuff before you let him divide your soul. Before you, if, especially if you're here and you're not a Christian, don't, don't try to give anything to Jesus or ask anything of Jesus before you answer that claim. I've not come to divide your stuff. I've come to divide your soul. And, and just leave all the other questions aside before you answer, who is Jesus? If he's a madman, it doesn't really matter how you answer that question. If he's the risen Lord of the universe the maker of heaven and earth. Boy, does it matter what he has to say. Before you give anything to Jesus, you must give him your life. You must give him your soul. And if you need reason why, I have good news. We, we remind ourselves of the promise, the reason that we come to him every week. On the night he was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this Please remember what I've done for you. My body was broken for you. After the meal, he took a cup of wine. This is the scandal. This is what makes you safe with God. This is what seals your relationship with God. It's my blood shed for you. Will you believe? Will you trust him and follow him into this upside-down kingdom? Our tradition at Sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread a dip it in wine or juice. There'll be stations up front in the back. Wine will have twine wrapped around it, and there'll be uh, gluten-free elements to my left and your right. If you're a Christian, remember your hope, remember your love, and come asking Jesus to heal our twisted hearts and give us a renewed, pure love and desire that we might know him and be satisfied in him. I'll pray for us, and then uh, Christians, you may come forward as you're ready. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that um, you're a storytelling God, and uh, what beautiful evidence that is of you see us as children, and um, you're a good dad, and you tell us stories uh, to woo us, 
to stir our imaginations with what life with you could be like. And I pray that, uh, Spirit, you would, you would take this word and put it to work on our hearts. Um, I pray you'd grant us courage to accept, to see uh, our disordered loves, uh, the things we want that will bring us destruction when we try to rest our souls in them and help us, Lord, to believe the better promise that Jesus has for us. Uh, in, in our final moments together, do something only you can do, God. Uh, make your presence known to us. Um, help our souls, our bodies, our minds to taste that you are good and give us the faith to trust you and follow you. And we love you, Father, uh, because you first loved us. And we're thankful uh, that you've taken us who once were not a people and you've made us a people. You've taken us with broken hearts and twisted desires and you've restored us and brought us into your family. So in your mercy, hear our prayers and help us to know you're here with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.